We're so glad that you're listening to the Branches Podcast. If you're in the Houston area, we'd love to see you in person at 11 a.m. on Sunday mornings. For more information, go to brancheshtx.org. We hope this message helps you draw closer to God and that you hear the good news that you belong. Thanks for listening. Good to see all of you here at Branches today. If we haven't met before, my name is Colin. I'm the pastor here, and we're just so honored and delighted that you decided to join us for worship today. Uh, whether you're here for chili and you can just like have a little bit of Jesus before that, we're glad you're here. Or you came for Jesus, I encourage you to stay after for chili too. No matter where you came from, we're glad you're here this morning. And I want to ask you just a favor. If you would check in and let us know that you're here today, you can scan this QR code and tell us that you were at Branches today. It's a great way for us to keep in touch with, with you, uh, let you know what's going on in the life of our community, and keep you up to date on things like the Chili Cook-Off or any of the events we have coming up uh, this month or in April. So you can get on our email list and we can uh, just let you know how glad we were that you were with us today in worship, especially if you're a first-time guest. We'd love to meet you after worship today outside on the lawn for the Chili Cook-Off. We're in our third week of reading through Mark's gospel together. And if you don't have one yet, we still have some printed copies of Mark. You can still catch up and read through it and take notes uh, and grow in your reading of the story of Jesus. And so if you want one of those or a reading plan, you can grab one today, but we're in our third week, and we've already heard a lot and seen a lot about Jesus. And maybe if you're in the reading plan, you got to today's reading, and you wondered, like, did I, I thought I already read this, did I miss something, this is happening again, Jesus feeds a great number of people. First it was 5,000, and today we're hearing about 4,000. And Jesus is really, over and over again, a rhythm sort of in Mark of seeing the plight of a person, seeing the condition or state of a person, and his heart is moved. I think sometimes we think of Jesus so divine that we're like, he's unmoved emotionally. But Jesus in Mark certainly is not that way. He sees the poor, he sees the needy, he sees the sick, and he, he, he actually sees them, looks at them, touches them, engages with them, calls them son or daughter, lifts them up heals them. Jesus sees and is moved. And it's such a human thing, and it's such a beautiful thing that we often tap into. Uh, We see the plight of someone else, and it's like, I can't not help. I can't not say something. I can't not do something. This compulsion, this movement within our spirit, it's kind of where we get the phrase, our heart went out to a person. There's like a spatial kind of strangeness to that. Like our heart, our, our a seat of our emotions, our affections went out of ourselves because we saw another person in need or in trouble. We're moved by what we see. And really we can feel when we're moved and we don't act. There's kind of a mismatch. There's something I think divine about that. We're made in the image of God. And so we're moved by the plight and the sadness and the hurt and the brokenness of others. When I was thinking about that this week, Jesus' move from seeing something and then acting, I thought of the month after Landon and I got married in 2015. 
uh, we were so moved to do what I think probably many of you have done, which is say, we really want a dog, but we're just going to go look. Um, all been there. Uh, I have a picture of us just looking. Uh, that's us just looking at Montgomery uh, outside the PetSmart in Conway, Arkansas. Uh, we're like, we'll just go look. We've only been married a month. Maybe it's not r- the right time. Uh, Montgomery leaned over on Landon, and it was all over. Uh, this, is, this is Landon on Montgomery after just looking. I think we have a picture of that, too. Uh, <laughs> we were so moved by Montgomery that we just had to take her home. And I called, the, I called the apartment complex, and I was like, I know you have a weight limit, like 30 pounds, but I think she's a little over 30 pounds. And she said, no, 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 what's her weight? And I said, I think it's a little over 30 pounds. She was like, no, 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 what's her weight? Like, the person in the office did me a solid. She's like, lie to me. <laughs> <laughs> Tell me that she's under 30 pounds. So we got Montgomery and we took her home. We were so moved by what we saw and what we experienced, like we just could not help it. I think, again, this is just a, such a human thing, not just for animals. Though I know a lot of you are dog people, animal people, cat people. Like you're, you see one, you're like, ah, we only have one, but now all of a sudden we have four or five. Uh, just bring one home. We're moved by what we see There's a really cool national organization, and they're actually super active in Houston, called Food Not Bombs, um, which is a rad name. They have really cool t-shirts. It's like somebody like holding a carrot, but they're holding it like a hand grenade. Um, Really cool. And there would be best described, the organization, um, and you use the word like crunchy (laughs) to describe a person. Like they're kind of like cool punk rock activist people. And it was started by a guy named Keith McHenry, and he was in Cambridge, Massachusetts, where Harvard is. And they were feeding uh, homeless people in Cambridge. And uh, they knew the place that they were feeding people was right across from a lab that was uh, creating the technology to create bombs. And he's like, okay, we have an organization name now. <laughs> Food, not bombs. And so they, they uh, cities all over the country, they go out in places where the, you know, cities have ordinances where there's only certain places where you can feed more than six people. Houston is one of those cities. We have a chapter of Food Not Bombs in Houston. And they like count their arrests as, as badges of honor. It's so rad. Like on their uh, Instagram, this guy named John Locke is one of the main Houston guys. He's like, this is arrest number 95. You know, and he gets a ticket every time they're feeding people that are hungry in our city. They have these t-shirts. They say, free soup for the revolution. I think that's so cool. That's really, really cool. That, that all the way back with Keith McHenry to all these cities all over the country, people are feeding the homeless and feeding the hungry in their cities because they were so moved by what they saw. Again, it's such a human thing and also paired with the fact that it's a divine thing that, that we see the plight of another and we can't help but act, even if it puts us at risk for a ticket or arrest or breaking a city ordinance or a run with the police or even it's gonna, we talked about a few weeks ago, break the rules because people think it's not really good or it's unseemly to care for the hungry or the poor in your community. We're moved by these things that we see in our city and in our world. And there's a lot to see and there's a lot to be moved by. And again, that's where we pick up with Jesus today in Mark's gospel. So I wanna read this short story from you in chapter eight, the first 10 verses, and it says this. In those days, when there was again a great crowd without anything to eat, he called his disciples and said to them, I have compassion for the crowd because they have been with me now for three days and have nothing to eat. If I send them away hungry to their homes, they'll faint on the way, and some of them have come from a great distance. His disciples replied, how can one feed these people with bread here in the desert? He asked them, 
How many loaves do you have? They said, seven. Then he ordered the crowd to sit down on the ground and he took the seven loaves and after giving thanks, he broke them and gave them to his disciples to distribute. And they distributed them to the crowd. They had also a few small fish. And after blessing them, he ordered that these two should be distributed. They ate and were filled and they took up the broken pieces left over, seven baskets full. Now there were about 4,000 people and he sent them away. And immediately he got into the boat with his disciples and went to the district of Dalmanutha. Friends, this is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together. God, be moved by our hurt. Be moved by our sadness. Be moved by the ways that we are broken, that you might act in our lives by your spirit. Heal us, change us, transform us, and also challenge us and compel us to look around to see the plight of the poor in our community, to feed those who are hungry, to lift up the lowly, to care for the orphan and the widow in their distress. Move us as you are moved. Break our hearts for what breaks yours. Make us sad for those things that bring you sadness. Not so we can sit in our sadness, but we can act and be your representatives in the world. We ask all this in your name. Amen. Jesus was just looking. Jesus is with his disciples, and again, over and over again in Mark's gospel, it's like, and a great crowd gathered. Jesus promised his disciples, you will be fishers of people. It sounds hokey, but it wasn't original to Jesus. Jesus didn't come up with that phrase. He was telling his disciples, you'll be like the other popular rabbis of our day. You will draw people to yourself, and people will gather around from miles around to hear what you have to say, and here's what you should say. And he told them the good news about the kingdom. A kingdom where no one is hungry and no one is left alone and everyone has a companion for the journey and and God seeks and saves the lost. That's what you're gonna tell people and that's gonna draw people to you. And then we see Jesus put it into practice over and over again. These chapters of Mark, these little chunks of stories about his ministry, it begins with, and a great crowd gathered. And Jesus was surrounded by a great multitude of people. And Jesus was pressed in on by people. As we read last week, there's this woman who was bleeding and in the midst of the crowd, she touches him. Jesus is surrounded by people. And even in the middle of a large crowd, like I love people watching as much as the next person, uh, Jesus notices the hurt and the pain of others. Both of these feedings, the feeding of the 5,000, the feeding of the 4,000 in Mark's gospel begin with Jesus turning and looking at the crowd and noticing something, their hunger, this missing piece, this longing that they have. And Jesus, I can imagine his disciples being like, if he looks at him, he's gonna do something. <laughs> if he looks at him, he's gonna put us to work. If he sees that they are hungry, he's gonna make us you know, feed them. And that's exactly what we see here. Jesus turns around, he's like, look, They're coming to see me, to listen to me, and they're hungry, and they've been gone from their homes for a long time, and they're coming from really far away, and if I send them away empty, they'll faint on the journey. And some translations say they'll faint on the way. Some some translations say the way, and that's the same word that that Jesus uses when he talks about the way of following him. There's like a spiritual facet to it too, that without me filling them, without me giving them something, they won't have enough sustenance for the journey, for the way. And so Jesus acts. There's a lot of theories about this miracle. People, of course, try to explain it away. They're like, this wasn't really a miracle. There's one theory that says like, they just decided that you know Jesus had a little bit of bread and a little bit of fish, and then they all kind of determined, oh, I have something to offer. I have something to offer. So then they had this big bounty. There's one theory. 
I even read a commentator this week that said they were gigantic loaves of bread. <laughs> uh, like, that's a stretch, dude. Like, you're trying really hard to make Jesus not a miracle worker. He's like, they just had giant bread. Um, that's a thought. Or maybe, and this is the one I tend to believe, I have a bias, of course, Jesus multiplied what little they had to feed everyone. I've told the story before of Shane Claiborne in Calcutta, India, working with Mother Teresa, and they were doing a medical mission, and they ran out of every medical supply except Pepto-Bismol. And he says in that story, it seems like that little bottle of Pepto-Bismol lasted us the entire day. <laughs> it's a similar miracle, that it spread out what, what, what they thought was so little into something that was so much more. Jesus is echoing, and Mark does this a lot, that he is saying he is embodied the God of the Exodus story. He's the new Moses. Moses had a similar thing. He was wandering through the desert with these whiny, whiny people. They're like, what are we gonna have to eat? And God provided them from nothing to something to sustain them, and they had enough. Jesus provides that. And the beautiful thing of this story and the other feeding of the 5,000 is he doesn't just provide them exactly what they need, there were leftovers. They gather up the leftovers. Jesus gave them exactly what they needed and then some. Jesus took the bread and the fish that they did have and they ate it and there were still some, still some to give that they could give on their way home. They could give to the next hungry person they saw. Jesus didn't, didn't just give the daily bread. He gave the daily bread and then more daily bread for somebody else. Jesus takes, as Carl said in his prayer, uh, he doesn't need very much. He takes very little and makes it into a lot. This isn't in what the disciples say explicitly, but it's underneath the surface. That Jesus says, okay, they're hungry, what do we got? And the disciples say, we just have these few loaves of bread and we just have these few fish. The good news of this story and the good news about who Jesus is, what this tells us about Jesus is, in Jesus there is no just. In Jesus, there isn't, um, well, uh, I just have this to give, or I'm just this, my identifier, I'm just a teacher, I'm just a mom, I'm just a pastor, I'm, I'm, I'm just an accountant, I'm, I'm just a young person, I'm just an old person, I'm just a parent. In Jesus, there is no just. There's, there's no, we just have this amount of money, or we, we just have this resources, or I just have this skill, or I just have this creative part of my life. In Jesus, this story tells us explicitly, in Jesus, there is no just. There's enough, and then some. There's exactly what God gave you to gift to the world, and then some. In Jesus, there is no just. There's a pastor I really admire. His name is Mike Mather. I think we have a picture of him. That I, I just wanted to show. Look at the stash on the guy. Like, <laughs> that's super cool. Uh, he used to uh, pastor a church in Indianapolis. Now he, he pastors a church in Denver. He's such a cool guy. Um, and he's really, he teaches other, um, other pastors and faith leaders and community leaders, leaders this thing uh, called asset-based community development. A really, really cool a concept in social sciences and uh, a social work and nonprofit world. And he wrote this book called Having Nothing Possessing Everything. It's a quote from the Apostle Paul in Corinthians. Uh, Having nothing possessing everything. Now, this is the way that Christians conduct themselves, that we appear on the surface to have nothing, but we actually have it all in Jesus. 
and he describes his journey in uh, the Indianapolis area, kind of teaching this concept to people. I want to read you a passage about uh, his, his journey. Uh, he was uh, working in this new church in Indianapolis, um, and he uh, was sitting at a, a Pentecost Sunday lunch after church, and uh, someone challenged him that he had just preached uh, from Acts 2. And in Acts 2, they quote Joel, in which Joel says, I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. And this person said to uh, Mike Mathers, said, if what Joel says is true, why don't we treat people like that? If God has poured out his spirit on all, all people, why don't we treat them like that? And what she meant was when people come to their food ministry, to their food pantry, their feeding ministry, they ask them how poor they are. They say, how much do you need? What are you lacking? What, what state of poverty are you in? And we'll try to fill that gap. And so they, he felt ashamed, of course, and was like, you're right. We gotta stop asking that question. So when someone came to feeding ministry, they changed the questionnaire. And this is how they changed it. This led to an important change, he says, in how we interacted with the people who came to our food pantry. Now we began with those questions. We asked whether folks took care of children or elders, whether they did it with their family or as part of a job or to help out a neighbor. We asked whether people could put up drywall or fix a toaster or knew how to drive a car. Do you play a musical instrument, we asked. Do you garden? If so, do you grow vegetables, flowers, or both? And each interviewer asked three more questions at the end of the survey. One, what three things do you do well enough that you could teach them to someone else? Two, what three things would you like to learn that you don't already know? And three, who besides God and me is going to go with you along the way? We asked the last question because when people came to the pantry, they seemed to be feeling isolated and alone. People often answered that question with some version of, I have no one. But then the interviewer followed up each answer by asking, who celebrated your last birthday with you? And as people named folks, they began to light up. You could see the light come to their eyes and people remembered they weren't alone. In Jesus, there's no just. There's no just, I, I just have this much, right? I just have this skill, or I just have this to offer. In Jesus, you have people along for the journey. In Jesus, you have something that you can offer another. You have a skill or an idea or some creative aspect of your life. They met this woman named Adele who could cook. She said in the interview, I can cook. And Mike said, prove it. So she cooked lunch for them one day and he was like, oh my goodness, we have to set this woman loose. Like, she's amazing. So anytime anyone ever had a meal that they needed for an event in their church, they said, you can't cater it out, Adele is gonna cook it. Every time they wanted to feed someone else, Adele did the cooking. I just wanna read the, the end of, um, of uh, uh, Adele's story here. It's really wonderful. Uh, the Chamber of Commerce contacted us. They wanted to have an all-day meeting of their leadership group in our church building. Since they were going to be there all day, they wanted to use the kitchen. We told them they could, but we preferred that they use our caterer, Adele, and they agreed. We took $20, our only investment, and bought Adele a 1,000 business cards that said, La Chapateria Catering, Spunky Tex-Mex Food. <laughs> when she fed 70 of the business and civic leaders in the community, she put those cards to good use and she got connected to the uh, Michiana Business Women's Association. And a year and a half later, she opened Adelita's Fajitas on the corner of 8th and Harrison in Elkhart, Indiana. There's no just in Jesus. 
Adele didn't know just how to cook. She knew how to care for and fill people. And the only way they ever knew that is because they asked. Is because they engaged with her and they said, not, well, what do you need, but what can you give? What can you offer? There's a Tony Robbins self-help version of this message that I actually happen to agree with, but I want to try and kind of draw a distinction here for us if we follow Jesus. The Tony Robbins non-Christian way of saying this is, you're amazing. You have so much potential and you have so much to offer. Don't sell yourself short. And I believe that. That's true. You are amazing. And you do have a lot to offer. Don't sell yourself short. The Christian Jesus-following version of this message is, don't sell Jesus short. Because in him, there's enough and then some. In him, it's not just bread and cup. In him, it's not just what you put in the offering plate. In him, it's not just the manly men chili cook-off. In him, it's not just branches. It's not each individual. It's not just your family. It's not just your occupation. It's not just anything. Or in my first language, ain't no just. (laughs) Just nothing. In Jesus, there's something more. There's everything. There's enough and then some. There's, a, there's enough finger-wagging pastors in the world that have their little topic that they like to beat you over the head with and tell you, don't do this, don't do that, don't say this, don't do that, and I never, may it never be so, I never wanna be that pastor. Except this one little thing. <laughs> <laughs> Branches people don't say just. Not because I say so, because Jesus doesn't say just. He looked at the bread and the fish and he's like, oh crap, there's 4,000 people. No, he said, let's do it. This is what we have. This is what we have to give. We have enough. It's not just bread and fish. It's sustenance for every single one of these 4,000 hungry, journeying people. So that's my finger wagging. You don't say just (laughs) because Jesus doesn't. And he's more than enough for each one of us and he's more than enough for our city, and he's more than enough for the world. Thanks be to God for that. Let's pray. Almighty God, we thank you that in you there's enough and then some 